welcome to Sonic Talk number 419 as we approach yet another milestone, 420. There's probably got to be a microphone or something with that serial. We'll try and think about a, uh, a thing we can do for that. But uh, I want to say hello or welcome to everybody. Uh, and I'm very pleased that I managed to remember to hit record on the MP3 player just halfway through the intro ID there. So uh, Mark Doty, who's our first guest, uh, you'll be able to maybe pick up some tips about preparedness for a podcast because I think you're going to be working on one that's some point in the near future at least according to your facebook posts how are you i'm good how are you nick i'm glad to be back it's been a while it's been ages crazy it has been ages and it's a pleasure to have you i suppose before i introduce the rest of our guests i should probably just say uh, thank you very much everybody for joining us uh, thank you to our sponsors isotope of course if you're a regular viewer of the show you'll know uh, that there is a competition involved and so you'll find out what the who the winner is uh, of last week's and we'll also be able to find out how to enter the competition this week because that is the way they roll but stay tuned for that i also want to say thank you very much to our show sponsors oh no i've already said that haven't i, I already want to say yeah oh actually if you're wondering what this is all about and you've never seen this before please subscribe to our youtube channel and it will all become clear because sonic talk goes out once a week on a wednesday at 4 p.m uk time you can watch it live there's a live stream sonicstate.com forward slash live and also all of our other videos go up to the same channel so you'll be able to see the latest reviews i'm currently working on the modor nf1 uh we've got uh, gaz's uh, launchpad pro in the in the bag we've also got there's there's a ton of stuff coming up anyway so i'll now uh, get on to some of our other guests uh, we have also someone we haven't had for a little while Mr. Ty Unwin, composer, based in his synth cave. A synth cave to rival Mr. Spears. I mean, look at that. We got, is that a Voyager XL and a Schmidt? A white Voyager XL and a Smith. It is. Yeah. And a mic. That looks like a blue something or other. It is. It's a blue bottle. Ah, blue bottle. Yes. You should be swatting yes. around, yeah. You need a fly swat. <laughs> anyway, Ty, no of course, flies, a yeah. very busy fellow, as we've, we've heard before, a, a man with a lot of synthesizers. So uh, thank you for joining us. I hope you've, uh, you're not uh, risking a deadline by taking an hour out of your busy uh, nope, uh, TV composition schedule. <laughs> and um, Anyway, let's get on to uh, Mr. Gaz Williams, who's over there in Bristol in his uh, um, production garret the attic of his uh, <laughs> of his premises uh, how are you guys you well yeah really good thank you so um been having lots of uh, fun with the sledge which uh, i did end up getting last week i could just see the custard yellow just to your right yeah. now you know this is probably a, a synthesizer that would uh, cause a lot of controversy but um i love it and the yellowness of it just excites me no end when i see it it the yellowness of it just you know, makes you feel warm. Was, it's it, yeah, it's a it's a funny thing, but I mean, it's a buggy, it's a buggy machine. Oh I dear! Mean, you know, I mean, this is probably something Mark uh, would probably despise in in many ways. But um... <laughs> <laughs> your reputation precedes you, Mister Doty. Cut to shot with Mark and a white cat, perhaps. <laughs> you know, I went from the Gaia. Roland Geyer to this fella. So I'm sort of, you know, I'm kind of, I'm earning my, like my, my, my Cub Scout kind of badges. Working paying up your dues. To, I'm working up to something and this is a, but I mean, I, I'm, I'm playing some really freaky psychedelic music and I wanted something that's going to be kind of pretty cool for that sort of stuff. So, and it's absolutely nailing that job. Sounds great. 
it's interesting isn't it there's something about uh, even though the engine of itself isn't all that special there's something about the largesse of the interface and the fact that there's just this enormous amount of space between all the controls that makes it really good fun to use you do have to really reach at times to get you know to to get around it um but you know (laughs) i was kind of having a chuckle because you know i was like looking for something that was you know vintage kind of unit one knob per function <laughs> see where i'm going with this yeah but, um, <laughs> yeah i've just bought it a few days earlier than the announcement <laughs> all right well, well we'll get on to that but gaz great to have you gaz of course bass player music technologist and many other things besides and also now proud sledge owner uh, have you called it percy by any chance you really should <laughs> <laughs> or sister yeah, or sister. Yeah, no sister. That's a good one. <laughs> and that little uh, voice they heard was Robbie Bronneman, who uh, looks like your uh, Robbie Bronneman's uh, currently actually producing right now, or at least taking a break out and working on uh, an album uh, in uh, what looks like a fantastic sort of barn type studio. Uh, how's that all going, Robbie? It's going very well. We finished finished our first. We actually finished the mix of one of the tracks we've been working on yesterday. So it's a nice milestone to get one in the bag. Yeah. Oh, yeah, excellent. Good. I always yeah, imagine. Yeah. I always imagine that sort of thing when it's such a you know you finish a track, but then when you finish the other ten or whatever there's in an album, the temptation is to go back and maybe tinker with them because you might have developed the sound further on in the project. Is that a temptation? Oh, I'm far too organised for that. Okay, <laughs> maybe no, what no, we've, we've got we've got three on the go, and we know exactly what we're going for. So we just got to steer all the rest of it to kind of stay within the parameters we're working within. It'll be all good. Yeah. Right. Well, excellent. Thanks for very much for joining us and to your client for giving you the time out to uh, to join us too. So uh, also I should say hello to the chat room. Thank you, everybody. Got ooh, a fulsome chat room, as I want to say. And uh, oh, there's Gaz in there as well. So uh, all the usual culprits and many more besides. Actually quite fulsome. Have I said that enough times already? I think I'll say it again. Anyway, um, so let's get on. Um, obviously, the big news is last week we, we had the teaser for the uh, for this which is obviously the Roland Boutique range. Uh, these are the sort of... Uh, I mean, the clue was in the teaser, frankly, wasn't it? Jupiter 8, there it is, 1981. And uh, then we got the JX3P, which uh 1983. And then... Uh, I can't even remember what the next one is. Oh, the Juno 106, which I'm a proud owner, and it does sound lovely. 1984, sort of three classic polysynths, two sixes and an eight voice. I think the, the 3P was a... Was actually, I, to be honest, I don't know, was the 3... 3P and 8 or a 6 voice? 6, I think. There they said in unison. And it also <laughs> does unison voices as well. Um, so, yeah, this is the news. The Roland Boutique stuff. Obviously, what's happened is it got leaked. You know, some poor soul. I'm assuming this wasn't uh, uh, actually a, uh, you know... A, a marketing wheeze uh, as what happens you know when you've got a massive organizations such as roland or any of the mega corps things have to be uh put into databases ready for sales and stuff so some some poor soul uh hit the wrong checkbox i believe in the database i think i've got some pictures here these are these are some pictures from uh, somebody's imager feed so there's the jp08 which looks like a jp08 kind of layout there are differences uh, you can also get these little cases for them uh, and there's the back end which has got mini jacks then there's the ju06 which is to all intents bits the one out of all of them which is purely identical in terms of control in terms of synthesis controls uh, and then you can get a little keyboard case which is an add-on so they come as modules or add-ons then we've got uh, the jx03 which is more or less the same as the original voice 
And there they are. Uh, interesting. I mean, they look lovely. They've definitely done a kind of, you know, a nice cosmetic job on it. And there is all sorts of... Uh, stuff going on flying about about you know whether they should be doing this because i, I don't if, i mean well how, how can you forget the way that the jupiter 80 got kind of mm. they really got like you know apps and this was before the change in roland where they were able to sort of turn it around and start bringing some new things out they got absolutely slammed for utilizing those old school um brands and applying things that weren't so th- in what way is this different? Or if anyway, it seems more people. It, it, it seems like they're split, aren't they? We're talking half of people are going. Actually, this looks pretty cool. I'm glad they've gone for a module. This is kind of pretty interesting. And the, and then half are saying, I'm not so sure. And I wonder who I should go to first. <laughs> Mark, I know that. Well, th- there's some interesting things going on here. I mean, obviously, I mean, you know, any commercial organisation, you know, car manufacturer, or whatever, is perfectly entitled to, you know do this kind of thing i mean why not you've got a powerful brand you use it you kind of utilize it is there something wrong with this or do you think this could be actually pretty cool to get this kind of stuff in the hands of people and then maybe people will want or go but but actually i want the real thing in in terms of analog that's the thing about this we're in this time this period right now where lots of analog is being produced lots of inexpensive analog is being produced companies are bringing back their products from the past in in analog splendor so there's kind of a culture right now of let's re-release or whatever so it seems weird that roland was willing to kind of seem to jump on that bandwagon and then totally not at all jump on that bandwagon and I think that's one of the things that is upsetting for someone like me, because like I saw some sort of, you know, I saw when I first saw the leak, I was like, oh, my gosh, is this true? Because people would really love these analog polysynths reproduced now. They would really love that. That would be a huge, fantastic thing. And I think my question is, is there really a need for small virtual analog polysynths in the market right now. And I'm asking that not to be a jerk, but like literally, they're not a thing that I buy. I don't really know, but it seems like you can, the whole world is adrift with uh, VA polysynths. Is that not true? Um, yes and no, I suppose. I mean, I, I think that, that I, I think that's a fair question to ask. I know, let's, uh, let's move along the panel here and say, because Ty, you've got a lot of analog polysynths and you've got other kinds of polysynths too i mean yeah this is what's quite because obviously this is you i mean for, perhaps i should recap before before what we do know uh which again I, I would like to stress roland have not briefed us at all so this is all all this information has come to me via the leaks and via what i've been able to look up it's not that i am not party to any of this information because i think I, I mean, that's not always the case but i'm i assure you in this case it's not so, you know, judging by the details, these are going to be using ACB technology, which is what we've got in the IRA range, probably using the same processor set and what have you, because there's a four-voice limitation on all of these, which is kind of a little bit of a misnomer when you think it's a Jupiter 8. There is, only got there is one set. crucial difference, though, isn't there? That, that, uh, that There is one difference, isn't there? And that's that the Iris things are all fixed at 96K, and these fellas aren't. Um, these things are... 44k the internal processing so that's the only thing that sort of has a clue to it being uh a different ah yeah okay maybe so so. a lower resolution perhaps i suppose but i mean i know ty does it really matter i mean does it 
is this something because i mean you've probably got a jupiter 8 you've probably got a jx3p if you didn't have them would this be something you know i mean i guess it depends on how they sound and we can't know that yet can we i suppose it is all down to how they sound but i just i'm completely mixed on this one because oh gosh i seem to i'm one of these people i seem to be giving roland a hard time at the moment and i have done for the last couple of years but they're just one of those companies that they get really close and they they keep kind of going in the right direction and then they just get it wrong at the last minute in one way or another way or whatever. For me, this is only a personal view. And with these, I have to say, when I first saw, I thought, okay, that's a that's an, a nice idea and, yeah, that could work. And, and then the form factor, I think the thing that you need to understand is that they are really small. And which mm. I'm sure some people may see that as a plus point, but we're talking 12 inches. And that's for men, obviously, which is that big. Mm. No, we're talking kind of 12 inches by six inches. So these faders are small, aren't they? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That, so, so, so the the faders on the Jupiter Eight one are are two centimeters, and on the Juno and the JX Three P one, they're three centimeters. So we're talking that is the biggest biggest fader, and two centimeters is that, and and mini jacks on the back. And so when I first saw them, I'm thinking, this looks like it could be useful. And especially the price, which is ridiculous. It's $399 for the eight and, and $299 for the other two. And you kind of think, oh, this is quite exciting. And then when you look at the detail, you suddenly realize that, and I don't want to say it again, but yet again, Roland at the last minute have just got it wrong, in my opinion. Because... We just it's too small and it's too small and the whole the whole four voice limitation i you know that for me is a big worry that's you know it's a big worry for me but that price i I mean you know aren't you expecting the moon on a stick a little bit i don't know gaz you were just about to come in there well it's just uh, just the the difference in price is is worth talking about though isn't it because the jupiter is 299 399 uh, and the juno and the jx are um Oops. Sorry, that was me. So your um, sledge is at the door. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and it's why is there a hundred dollars difference? Well, there's a new, there's an extra row if of faders. It was, if I, it was eight, but if it was an eight voice, because it's called the JPO eight as well, which obviously, then you could understand the extra hundred dollars, couldn't you? Mm. But well, hundred dollars. Yeah. I don't know. Why? Uh, yeah. Why? I don't why know. I don't know. I mean, I, I think, you know, in terms of the actual overall cost, it's 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 pretty s- small beans, I suppose. Robbie, you haven't had your say yet. Yeah, um, well, I mean, I kind of... The, the biggest bug I've got about it is, firstly, is the, the polyphony thing. Because my experience with things like the Juno, Juno 60 or whatever, and I know this from working with Howard, who's, who's both of those instruments, the Jupiter 8 and the Juno, are his main trademark instruments everyone knows he had and all the parts that he wrote on for instance like the juno 60 all the pad parts and things all relied on the way that six note polyphony stole in its voice allocation and whenever we've tried to recreate that on a resampling of juno we can never get it to sound right because unless you can limit the polyphony the same way it just doesn't work the same and it's it's a bit it's a bit arse about face. You buy two of them to get your eight note polyphony, but then you but it doesn't seem to be any way that you could limit it to six to make it genuinely like a Juno. And the other thing is is that 
looking at the two Ju- looking at the Jupiter, okay, you've got to buy two of them to get eight note polyphony. And some might argue it could be quite nice because you can then have discrete controls for each voice, like you you know, when instead of the, the split thing. But what about all the functionality on the Jupiter 8, like all the stuff to do with the mod and pitch bend, all the glide and how you can assign those things to the filter and all that kind of thing? There doesn't seem to be any implementation for accessing any of that. So how are you going to be able to, like for like, create Jupiter 8 sounds without that stuff? Well, and there's no portamento either. I did. There's no portamento, is there? Apparently. I can't see that. Apparently. I can't see that. Again, that's such a big part of a lot of those sounds. Well, for some people, anyway. Well, I mean, I suppose I, I suppose I play devil advocate here. I mean, because obviously we're talking three hundred ninety nine dollars, which is yeah. going to be around about probably three eight three fifty three hundred quid, which yeah. is you know, it, it, if you were to buy a Jupiter eight, it would be twenty times that at least. But I think this is the point I was getting at with price. Though, do you think the price is just to reflect the real world? You know, that the Juno and the JX were like the budget kind of keyboards. Oh, do you Roman. think? <laughs> And they're trying to reflect it in the price. That's what I think. And I think it's a bit daft because I think you're getting the same product, but you're paying the premium for the software mainly. It seems like I think you're weird. paying for the, I think, I think you're paying for the extra row of faders, to be fair. I yeah, think that can know, that's, it's got to be that. And, and got you've got to bear in mind that, that, that uh, two centimeter faders I I, are probably a quite a unique part, you know, in terms of yeah. how you source that kind of stuff. So I'm guessing. I mean, if I just uh, let me see if I go back to yeah. the. I think I've got the uh, the shot. Of it. That's the thing that concerns me more than anything else is the size of it. Because I mean, as with a lot of it, certainly with the Jupiter, the Juno 106, which has slightly longer faders, obviously, uh, in this in this boutique model, it's all about the the minutiae of those kind of tiny little differences between the sounds where you can find that sweet spot in the resonance that that creates this sort of suddenly this weird kind of almost voice-like sound in the filter. The Juno 106 has all of that in there, but it is about, you know, it's not just like whacking a fader up and pulling it down. It's about the increments between, and it's going to be very hard to to create that level of um, specific kind of setting i think in a fader that's that that's that short throw i mean i mean i am assuming i mean we should add here we are conjecting hugely because we don't know a if this is true we assume it is we don't know if the specs are final we don't know any of these things but you know that's that's the thing that worries me a little bit is the fact that the finesse of some of these sounds is going to be you know even okay so you're not going to be able to get an exact replica of the jupiter 8 performance but, you know, I can live without that, but I'm worried more that you can't find those little sweet spots in the fader when it's so small. I mean, I, I, okay, can I ask a hypothetical question? So if they'd bought this in uh, at 19 inches and with obviously slightly bigger fader, slightly bigger everything, if they'd bought it in an eight voice, so in other words, if they'd made a 19-inch track of this with bigger faders eight voice the proper authentic polyphony like a system one rack charge, effectively and, no 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 the, the same kind yeah. of format so a three say a three u rack yeah. 19 inch and with the right polyphony and with say portamento or whatever or an authentic you know whatever and we still knew that it was going to be a um acb so we still knew it was going to be virtual and they charged 550 600 so I say eight eight nine nine dollars or something like that yeah something yeah Personally, right. I'd be there going, yeah, I'll have one. Oh, that's interesting. So um, I, think, I, I just think 
I think yeah. they're going to prove to be irresistible, though, when you see them for real and just, you know, and actually get I your think, hands on them. Yeah. I think they're going to be just so just kind of, I oh, know it doesn't really. I know it's bad. <laughs> no, I don't need you know, It's going to, uh, we're going to just, we're going to want, we're going to want them. I just know they're just, you know, just for one reason. You, can... you know, do you know, on your bed, on your bedside table, do you know what I mean? Could really. <laughs> do you know what? Bed. Yes, there's all sorts of gags in there somewhere, isn't there? Yeah. <laughs> but, I mean, the, I, mean what my, I, I, I question the, the only thing I question is in that small form factor, why did they bother putting those strips, like the pitch bend, wherever they're going to be on the side of each one of those modules? Surely it would be much better to either make them that size and spread the controls out a little bit bigger, have a bit more room for stuff, and then put a genuine Roland pitch bend mod on the side of the keyboard that mm. they provided. Or better still, cut that whole section off so the units could be smaller and then perhaps provide a five-octave full-size keys enclosure that you could put, like, four of those in next to each right. other. That's an interesting that thought. A little bit more of a compelling, you know, all that amount of control right in front of you with, like, 24-note polyphony. Where was that? 24, 32? No, whatever it is. Yeah. Bad amount. 16-note polyphony with four different engines. And also, my only other thing is, is that I know you can polychain two of them, but seeing as they're software, essentially, wouldn't it have been great if you could buy all three... And you could polychain and prioritise which one you wanted to have twelve note polyphony, so that you just use them all as extra DSP. But well, you can't do that. Can you? Yeah, I don't know if you can or not. I'm not sure. That's a good. That's that's a very good point. I don't know, Mark. It's interesting though, isn't it? Because I mean, the form factor is in. It, it, you know, there, there's the. You fa- you were at Nobcon right quite recently, and that yes. your your famous your infamous Facebook uh, fit picture of the refaces, which again another controversial kind of VA thing, and you got to play with them right. So you know, <laughs> what one thing I I wanted to ask is, did your initial sort of out not outrage but you know scepticism dwindle because you had a chance to play with them to feel what it was like to use them? Because I, certainly that was the way for me. I I thought the CS was brilliant. You know, in terms of musicality, not in all specifications, of course. But yeah, it's funny. I I, I thought it was skepticism too, but according to the internet, apparently I condemned them and whatever. But yeah, what happened with me with them is I thought it'd be hilarious to like film me actually enjoying playing them and then like leak that onto the internet. But uh, no, I played the reface units, and all of my original concerns are intact. But I did have the experience that, Nick, you specifically said, you know, they're kind of fun and they feel good and the the sounds are nice. And I was like, well, OK. And I come I came away with that exact experience of those. They do feel good. They have a nice feel to them. The sounds are fun and interesting. And they there's this novelty aspect. I really liked the CP unit uh, because of what what options were available uh, for electric piano sounds. And I thought, yeah, that's cool. But the truth of the matter is the biggest limitation for me was, again, the mini keys. And I'm not even anti-mini key. I'm anti, you know, but I think they're wrong for polyphony. And here with this particular unit, the Rollins, they're doing that again. And certainly four-note polyphony is probably a little bit easier. But I just think the mini keys are the, the wrong thing for this. And the form factor aspect of this, I mean, it's it seems like it's going to be even worse than the reface where, you know, I, I don't think, if you don't have any, it's like you were saying, if you don't have any resolution, you're not really, 
it's more kind of just I'll change the sound a little instead of I want to fine tune this with synthesis. And to have all the functions available on these boutique uh, units and then have them just be a little tiny. I, I can't even believe how small this thing, what Ty was saying, how small this thing is. I, yeah, I just, you know what, it confuses gonna, me. You know what's going to happen though? What's going to happen? We're going to see like a, a band of 10 year olds, like a Tangerine Dream style 10 year olds. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> You know, playing these near the boutique and playing the kind of and uh, just blowing us away and really getting in there. You know? I, I, a little hand. You know. I, 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 but I wonder again, and this is this is this is kind of this is what I found with the DX really because the, the Reface DX is because there was less control on the surf surface. When I hooked up a box of knobs and started to tinker with the sounds, I was going, "Oh, this is you know." It was much more rewarding as an experience, and I wonder if the same thing might happen with the Jupiter Eight. If you just go, "Well, I've got the Jupiter Eight, uh, the JPO Eight rather," and and. I, I can't get on with the faders. I'll just hook up a bunch of faders which have further throw and, you know, are easy for me to find that sweet spot because I found with the reface, even though they're short and they're 128 steps, and yes, I can hear the stepping, I know all of this, you can still find really kind of quite wonderful points within that travel which really kind of get you somewhere. And that I wonder if it's going to be the same experience with these, but it'll require external control. But bearing in mind, you know, we're talking about very small... Uh, units and making them affordable so it's this uh, this notion of kind of bringing them thrusting them forward okay here's some musical it, it, if they are indeed musical and a really good fun and kind of get some sounds that people are just going wow this is amazing okay maybe they require a, 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 an external fader to get that precision you know that might be a bit of a drag i mean I, and also we're looking at it from a bunch of sort of semi or in your case or professional musicians who require very specific functionality to do the job which is probably not where these are aimed at ty you said you look like you were about to i think the reality is exactly as gas said if you if you if we watch this back in six months time or definitely within a year's time i think everyone here maybe not mark but everyone else on here is going to have them or at least have one of them it's going to happen because they are going to be the kind of thing that we're just going to look at and go, oh, God, I hate this. I cannot bear this. And then walk away with them because yeah. we, will. we will. To be fair, you know, I, I have to say I am going really hard on the reface because for me personally, the reface just uh, it doesn't work. Um, I completely understand what you're saying about the, the um, CS, but I, I'm a big AN1X fan, which obviously is a... Yeah, I, I have never played one, and I, and I understand that that has a lot and of fun. And AN1X is the most underrated virtual analog synth out there. It's, you know, I mean, um, yeah, Robbie knows this. It's one of those synths that in my, all of my setup, I'm always there going, it's the blue plastic <laughs> one. It's going to have to go. It's going to have to go. And it, every time I switch it on again, it's like, it can't go anywhere. It's got to stay. It is fantastic. So I understand this, the, the CS love. I absolutely do. But right. there's something about the whole packaging with the reface thing that just... Is never going to win me over, and yet, and yet, I sit there with all the reviews. I've watched your review. I do all this, and I'm still sitting there going, well, "Maybe I could just." And I know I hate it. I hate everything about the concept of it, and I'm still thinking I could just get one. So I mean, I know for a fact that I can sit here and I can slag off uh, these Roland boutique things, but we all kind of know that when we actually sit down and mess with one, it's just another boy's toy that we're going to have to have. And if if it is something that means that someone with you know kind of a starting out and whatever can get into at least it's a some kind of hardware synthesis then it's not such a bad thing you know that's it at the end of the day because 
you know, we were all we all started off with our synths that were monophonic or whatever, and and we've all been there. And you know, think about it. If you were if you were starting out and you were sixteen, and someone offered you just a fraction of a Jupiter Eight, mm. you know, for that kind of money, we would have absolutely leapt at it. We wouldn't have given a monkey's. It was only twelve inches, and the faders were, you know, it was something that wasn't a computer at the end of the day. Which is, you know, which is always a good thing. Get get people out there using hardware rather. Yeah, than I suppose that's true. I mean, I'm just thinking. Agreed. I'm just thinking about that. What was that tiny sizer, which is sort of a modular thing, which is about the size yeah. of a record. And the faders on that have got to be absolutely tiny. But yeah. I suppose yeah. they're not. Um, uh, they're not limited by the resolution as well, and you can bring in control voltage and stuff. But I think your point about maybe because the the, the uh, system one rack, you know, a Eurorack version would be a form factor that would work because it's bigger it's yeah. it would fit in a euro rack and it, it and it would give you a little bit more resolution to it but i, I mean i think obviously there's got to be things about like the aspect ratio of the panel and the ability to make them look in the style of you know that if you yeah. change those dimensions it wouldn't you know you'd have to scale the whole thing up rather than just make it a bit longer or whatever so i suppose there must be some design aspects to it i mean i, mean, it, it, I would hope and I, I and i and i think i, I i've after playing the System 1 that Gaz had at his place for a while, and I really enjoyed playing it, and I thought, that's a really great little synth, regardless of the fact that it's not analogue. You can get a great range of sounds out of it. I would hope that Roland, and I'm sure they have, have learnt from the, the Jupiter 80 fiasco, shall we say, and <laughs> if they're prepared, to, if they're prepared to so, you know, so kind of upfront, kind of make them out to be modern kind of instruments that have a real heritage to those original instruments one would hope that they've really worked hard to make sure that they do have that sound to them mm. yeah i would well that's a thing i have a uh weirdly i have a, f- a friend on facebook who works at roland and i kind of wasn't thinking about this when i recently posted my initial response to these units which i think nick probably knows was pretty gosh dang harsh uh but he very graciously stepped up and said and addressed me instead of just going, you know, F you Mark, he was like, listen. And he listed off a lot of aspects about this unit that some that Ty just said. But he specifically talked about ACB because I think I said something like, you know, uh I made some sort of horrible statement like uh analog simulation is a myth. <laughs> or something like that. Anyway, um, it was a little bit extreme, admittedly. That's why I, you know, my fa- my Facebook, I don't allow people to see what I say there. Anyway, um, but he came on and he talked about the sound and he said, you know, they employ ACB and they've really made an effort to duplicate a lot of the analog aspects, a lot of the functionality aspects of these original synthesizers. And I thought that was pretty impressive. I'm like, okay, at least, you know, you're putting the effort in and not just saying, okay, we did stuff that would make it sound analog, which a lot of people say without being very specific about, well, what, what did you do? Um, But he said that they really made an effort to address some of the functionality of these synthesizers through ACB in there. Yeah. And he also said that he suggested, I don't know if this is true, that he might uh, lend me one to check out, which I think would be absolutely just the most bizarre thing if I did a demo of it. I mean, I'd probably break the Internet. But I am really curious. I mean, what what is it like to have one of these things and how how analog do they actually sound? Because I got to say, like with, you know, I've had three JX3Ps. I love them. 
There's just something about the crazy things. I love them. But I have to say, of the sounds that make analog really important, the thing that made analog a desirable sound quality, uh, the the DCO sense of the early 80s from Roland do not evince that. They do have their own sounds, which are really desirable, but they don't have this. They don't drip with analog quality. And what this friend of mine said was, like, people couldn't tell the difference between a real Juno 106 and this unit. And I almost think that probably that's possible. But I, I think it's hopeful. Yeah, uh, I'll be very interested to know because I've got a Juno 106. I love it. Gaz, you look keen. I am keen because... Uh, so the experience I've been having on the sledge over this past week um, has been, you know, just so much joy. And a lot of that is to do with how when you've got one knob per function, absolutely, you know, there's no menu system at work here. So everything is as it is. Uh, on the sledge, there's a button called panel. You know, press that, you, what you see is what you get. There's just something just so lovely about it and in, intuitive when you actually play it, the way you interact with it. It's like every knob can be a, a performance control, you know, let alone, you know, trying to map macros. Just like uh, I've been having joy for the first time with the key track control, like the key track control it's <laughs> become, become a thing of, of, you know, wonder and amazing. Sorry. I'm a bit late, I'm late to the party on that one. But the point I'm saying is if these devices, you know, give people a taste of that, of that absolute, what you see is what you get every control as you move it. Um, now, obviously if there's presets, that's going to, that, that's going to confuse the issue then isn't it because controls and the sound are going to be separate but what i'm interested in is how easy is it to make those things like be the entire panel i didn't is there a you know the what's the manual is the roland term you know the like man, manual there was on the uh there was uh, all that um, that's a very good question i don't know i'm trying to remember if there's one on the juno 106 yes hold on <laughs> hold on here it comes yeah. look uh, there it is. I don't know if you'll be able to see that. It's in the corner there. Hold on, if I can get it in the... Okay. There. A manual button. So there's one there. I don't know whether there, uh -huh. there was. There, there is on the JP6. I don't know if there is on the uh, Jupiter 8. Let's oh, see if I can... Let me see if I can resize this. I think there may be... Let's, yes, look at that. Oh, there's one in the corner. Excellent. So okay. There you go. Box ticked. Good news. Okay, <laughs> so that's yeah, brilliant, brilliant, brilliant. Right, I, I suspect we uh, we have, uh, as you know, I'm sure Roland would probably like, and everybody else. Nobody's got in touch with me and said uh, you've just uh, broken the terms of your NDA, but everything was on the internet beforehand. So you know, just want to say, I just make one one yes. last little quick point. Uh, I saw a lot of people griping on the internet about the fact that they use terms on their like VCO etc., and that it's not <laughs> technically that because it's not. You know, it's all in software. But, I mean, I think, yeah, I, okay, Mark, Mark, Mark's one of the protagonists. Um, I, I, was, I would just argue that it's just from familiarity, isn't it? I mean, virtual instruments in software have had that terminology since they began, and no one's complained about that. Yeah, I suppose so. I, I think, I think it, it's just it's just terms that everybody understands as the kind of concepts we work within. Yeah, maybe so. Yeah. And I, and I think from what um, what we were saying about the fact that you know they may have learned something from the Jupiter eighty. In fact, you know what they've done is they've created a trail from 
IRA and System 1 to here, where it's not just like suddenly, here they are, there's nothing else been here before, you know, this is what we're going to do now. If they'd just gone from JP80 to this, then yes, they would have probably been, you know, they would have been, I don't know, there would have been a lot of trouble, I'm sure. So I, I think, you know, that's fine. I mean, and we've got to remember that us guys are probably not indicative of the bulk of the market for these things. So, you know, we're... we're totally. We're, we're, we're perhaps, yeah, I think so. I think we're safe. Right. So, so I think it's now time for us to, um, do our competition and all of those things. So I'm just going to, um, press the button and it might even play the ad. Who knows? Ah, yes, of course. Brake Tweaker designed by BT and developed by Aristote. Brake Tweaker is not just a drum machine. It's a drum machine, drum sculpting and beat sequencing environment that blurs the line between rhythm and melody and give your beats evolving depth that gets better the longer they play use rhythmic slicing to drive everything from pitch melodic lines to sweeping rhythmic overtures in fact you don't have to use breaks in there you can stick sort of slices of and samples and phrases and all kinds of stuff in there which is what a lot of people use this for as well uh, you get the best drum sample library in existence curated by BT Isotope and top producer today explore a new era of rhythmic rhythmic possibilities with this forward thinking and forward sounding instrument and if you want to get hold of Brake Tweaker as with all of the BT uh, the Isotope stuff you can uh, go to isotope.com forward slash Brake Tweaker and you can basically download a, a, a working uh, copy of this and check it out for yourself in fact uh, I think until September 30th Brake Tweaker is reduced from 249 to 149 um, so that's till September 30th so if you do find that you're into it and uh, you want to get hold of it you can so uh, let's get on to the competition last week we asked you to tweet uh, break the hashtag Brake Tweaker and micro edits to at Sonic State and at Isotope Inc and we have a winner this week it's a chap called Joe McBride uh, and his Twitter handle is C-J-O-M-U-K. So I'm guessing he might be in the UK. So at C-J-O-M-U-K, you have one break tweaker and the Isotope Fairy will be dropping it under your inbox as soon as you let me know your email address. Uh, if you can just get in touch, then you'll be able to get that. And we've also got another competition this week because uh, that's how they roll, as I said. So you can win a copy of Break Tweaker for yourself. Uh, what we want you to tweet this week, and this is a bit of a mouthful, is the hashtag Rhythm Synthesis. That's one word, and you've got to spell rhythm right because uh, I very often don't, and I did check this before I put it in there. Uh, rhythm Synthesis and the hashtag Break Tweaker to at Sonic State and at Isotope Inc. Uh, it's on the screen now. Uh, you've got 140 characters, so do write some other stuff in there as well if you feel. Uh, you've got additional stuff to add uh, they do read it and we do read it too so uh, for those listening just purely the mp3 version of this hashtag rhythm synthesis one word and the hashtag break tweaker to at sonic state and at isotope inc and um, we thank isotope for their sponsorship of the show very much appreciated um oh, quickly mark actually before we uh, move on uh, there uh, i know that uh, you're running or the uh, the, the bob moog foundation for which you are uh, a uh, heavily involved ah now look at this beautiful thing this is the yes. uh the the pristine 1970s classic mini movie which is actually uh you can get a raffle ticket which is closing again on the 30th of september you can enter yep. to win this very synthesizer and um uh, michelle um the head honcho at uh, Bob Moog Foundation said, "Oh, you should t you should talk to Mark about about it because he's had a chance to play it and uh, it's been lovingly kind of restored and it's it's a really thing of beauty, right?" Definitely, I have this uh, this terrible aspect of my job that whenever we do this, it's my job to check the synth out to make sure it's functioning, and we also always have it serviced by very competent tech as well. Um, but I got to play this and. 
it it sounds great. It plays really well. I think the keys have uh, somewhat recently uh, been rebushed. It plays really well. It sounds great. It's all original. It's the early oscillator, and uh, yeah, I was I was really happy to play it. I haven't had a chance to like do a demo of it, which I feel bad about. But uh, it's definitely a fantastic, great sounding unit that I have really enjoyed playing. For a while, it was sitting next to my desk, and I have to admit that uh, I had to uh, every once in a while take a break from the burden of my work. To enjoy the thing, and uh, and uh, actually, when Norm Leet uh, told me about how to get uh, pulse width modulation on a mini Moog, which is something I never knew, that's the synthesizer I tried it out to see if uh, if it actually worked, and it did. But huh. yeah, it's a great unit, and it's oh. it's worth it to uh, 20, twenty bucks. I think twenty bucks to join the raffle. Uh, I think uh, there are um, or six for a hundred. And basically, you should you should check. In fact, uh, I think the raffle is uh, you go to moogfoundation.org, you can find it there. But there's a bitly link, which is uh, bitly slash mini moog raffle 2015 with a capital M, a capital R. Um, so you know that will get you there as well. And so you can enter that. Does look is it are there any exclusives? I might have to enter myself because that is such that the woodwork's been restored, hasn't it? That looks absolutely beautiful. My god, anyway. Well, go to it. <laughs> go and do it. Yeah, we all want that. That's for sure. Uh, oh, right. how do you do pulse width on a mini? Yeah, no, do tell. Ha ha. Yes. <laughs> uh, the trick is... I have one right over here. Um, the trick is on oscillator three, you set it to the backwards ramp, and then uh, oscillator one or two, you set it to the forward ramp. And by virtue of those two waveforms being opposites of each other, they cause an effect that sounds surprisingly like pulse width modulation. And actually, by manipulating them, you get some sort of unique sounds that pulse width modulation doesn't do. But uh, yeah, you just set oscillator three to its modulation sawtooth and one of the other oscillators to the standard sawtooth. And uh, it just happens. Well, (laughs) there we go. No one says you can't learn anything on this show. And uh, for those of you w- lucky enough to have a mini mode, you can uh, try that out for yourselves. Uh, uh, yeah. Okay. Right. Well, let's take a look at this. This is something uh, also quite new and modern in many ways. This is the Sensel Morph, uh, which is. I thought this was, a, when I first looked at it, it was an overlay for an iPad. At Sensel, but I- we're developing the next generation of input devices. I'll let them explain. We're trying to replace the archaic keyboard and mouse with an interface that's upgradable, it's customizable, and it really captures all the nuance and expression that our hands are capable of. Our first product looks like a trackpad, but we've actually packed 20,000 sensor elements into this form factor. Each of these sensor elements can detect the full range of forces that human hands are capable of. That means that when you touch this device, we can tell not only where your fingers are, but also how hard each one is pressing. We're precise and accurate enough to Let me fast forward it a bit and see. This thing actually, I know it's, it, it can, looks like it could be just like a Wacom tablet, but the sensitivity, I mean, there's a guy who's using a brush on it which is kind of pretty awesome and then you can lay this was something interesting for artists as well there's a guy he just basically put a piece of paper on it that's what i'm looking for no what am i trying to do oh i, I don't think i could do that I, because i've actually fast forwarded the video so that's probably not going to work i wonder if i do that now Let, hold on what one second here we go 
No. Damn, I blew it. Ah! <laughs> but I know that the, we see these things often, you know, we've had all of these kind of various devices. What looks really interesting about this is, A, you can put these little overlays on it, which give you these kind of, um, I think we might have it in the, uh, I think I've got the Kickstarter page. So you can uh, you can place, I think you can see them here. There's these little overlays that you put over them, which then give them sort of additional functionality, like QWERTY keyboard. There we go. That's the thing I was looking for. So QWERTY, some pads, a control kind of thing, a musical keyboard, that kind of stuff. I mean, you know, we've seen this kind of thing before which and we just think yeah but the sensitivity of this there's one shot in the video where this guy's using a brush and he and it, it picks it up and i'm thinking if there's that level of sensitivity i mean people also say yeah well it's just an ipad you know just use that but this actually looks to me quite interesting i know gaz you're kind of kind of fan of alternative input devices do you think this has got any legs because they're certainly on kickstarter they think so they've 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 raised over 400 grand and they're only looking for 60 but you never know whether that's just another marketing thing or not yeah, I mean it's it's intriguing. It is intriguing. Um, I mean, I have got a, a room here full of devices that have intrigued me, but then <laughs> <laughs> now a dusty. Sort of sit there not being used. Um, I've got my you know my Cuneo here and the uh, Leap Motion, those kind of things, and um, uh, so yeah, it's a, it's a funny one. I mean. The idea of actually brushing and having like pallets of notes on there and just being able to sort of create, you know, combine that those kind of ideas would be outstanding. You know, if you if you then and especially if you could make that interact with your hardware, I really see that world being a beautiful link up. You know, that would be amazing. You know, if, if you had, uh, for instance, maybe you selected 18 notes that and those notes would be rooted to one synthesizer or modular or something and then another 18 notes and scattered them around and then used a brush and then brushed around them uh, you know stuff stuff so it's a mm. software and hardware thing i don't know ty are you much are you big on kind of alternative controls i mean you're surrounded by class keys but you know have you got a whack on for instance because a lot of people use those or trackpads you know th- we've, we've become yeah, edu- i've, I've- I'm like as really. I'm surrounded by all these um, toys that I think are going to change my world, and then they do for at least a couple of hours. Until you realise it, they're actually my world goes back to exactly as it was before I switched it on. Um, you referring the to the lemur from... you've got? Say again. You referring to the lemur you've got? I'm not possible. You. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I have a lemur. Yes, thanks for that, Robbie. Um, no, so I'm. I'm. I think the problem I have is uh, I think in theory it looks fantastic, and I think it's yet another thing that I will buy and then try and find a use for. And I seem to fill my world in the studio with things that I buy and then find a use for, where it should be something that I really want, and someone produces something that does that. Right, and um, <laughs> I love I I love the idea of actually having you know it can be nice to have your own um, you can design your own uh, templates that go on top your own surfaces, but I did notice that to have that option I think you have to tell me if I'm wrong but you have to go in with seven thousand um, dollars ah. to get the option of they will make you your own Fair. personal you know, kind of thing to go on top. Other than that, no, you have to do whatever they supply. Ah, For you to make your own, you have to go in a lot higher level. And um, 
it's great but again we do have to kind of know remember that we're at that period ipad wise where we're going through that transition with the with the phone where we've got the force thing on the new the new iphone and we kind of all know that the next or the next one off that generation of ipad will have that force thing going on and then by the time we get to the next generation of ipad pro we're then talking about you know a 13 inch version with force and i know it's not like it seems with this that as you say the pressure sensitivity is a lot uh, you know a lot a lot finer but in terms of what in the studio we would use day to day i have to i think there's a lot of crossover and i have to say if i was going to go down buying one of the next generation ipads with all this in or buying yeah, this well, that's a fair point that's a fair point i mean in fact uh, this is supposed to be slated for release in june 2006 which is only three months before when they will announce the next generation ipad pro i suppose i know mark are you a kind of uh, are you an alternative input kind of guy? I mean, you know, we, we've got the uh, modular stuff with, you know, like what Tony Rolando make noise do with the touch plates. You know, there, there is a history of this thing in synthesis. Oh, absolutely. It goes way back to even the beginning. Uh, you know, Friedrich Schaltwein uh, did the uh, Trotonium, had a ribbon controller that was totally unique. And um, But I have to say, I, I know I've said before that I'm a total Continuum fan and I'm still saving up for one. Uh but when I saw the video for this and I saw that they had a keyboard overlay, I was like, well, that's kind of cool, but I'd rather just have it be the smooth surface. Because the first time I tried the Animog, I was like, you know what I would like is a really, really long iPad so that I could have like a full keyboard. And then in the video for this, it showed that they had oh, two, two together. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. With the keyboard overlay. And I'm like, that, but without that keyboard overlay, would be kind of a continuum sort of situation where it would sense pressure and uh, and also have, you know, basically anything that the, the continuum could do. And I have to admit, I was intrigued by that. I think they're uh, 249 bucks certainly on the Kickstarter. Like I said, they've got to, uh, let me see, where is it? Yeah, 406,000. You know, that's a lot of, uh, a lot of cash there. I don't know, um, Robbie, you know, you've got you've got the seaboard. You know, you so you're obviously uh, not averse to the alternative side of things. And, and I know that you did, or do you still use the Lima? I mean, I remember. Uh, did you have I, one? I, well, I had. I I I I'm, I'd taken a piss of time, but I had a Lima when it first came out, and I I controlled the whole show from a Lima. I controlled the whole band from a Lima. I had yeah. ultimate power. I controlled everyone's in ear mixes. I controlled the whole of the Ableton setup. I controlled everything. And it was um, it was a great device until, till the till Ableton wouldn't match up to the to the reliability of the Lima, and it stopped in the middle of a gig, and and nobody could hear anything, and even the audience couldn't hear anything. But anyway, I digress. No, I, I love the Lima, and I built <laughs> lots and lots of control surfaces for it. And I mean, the I iPad, loved... the iPad killed the Lima, really, didn't it? Because yeah, yeah. As soon as the iPad was announced, I put my Lima up for sale. Literally, the week it was announced, I put it up for sale. Um, and I told Howard to put his up for sale, and then, and, and then a couple of years later, we got the Lima for the iPad, <laughs> and I I used that quite a bit as well for a while. But um, yeah, I mean, I I don't know. I'm like Ty, probably. I look at things like this, and I think they they've probably got a little bit of a jump on Apple, but ultimately we'll probably see that technology realised in a much more slick. Um, mass market way with a bigger iPad and I would probably rather put my money into a more general purpose thing like that than buying something exotically 
bespoke like that. Initially, at this stage, I mean, it's, it's different with something like the Seaboard because it feels like a proper musical instrument. But with, like, like you said, with a lot of these controllers, you think, well, that's a great concept. What am I actually going to use it for in the real world? And how much effort is it going to be for me to implement that in my workflow? Am I going to spend a week setting something up that I'm not going to use? Yeah, there so, is that. You know, you know, so, yeah. you know I, think, I think it's great people are pushing the boundaries, but I'll, I'll probably wait on that, that whole side of things. Yeah, I, I get... The other, the, sorry, who was that? Gaz? That was me, sorry. Oh, Ty, no. sorry. Sorry, I was, I was only going to say, I think the thing is when it comes to controllers, I think controllers can be great as long as they feel different to another controller. And I think the problem I, I kind of have from this, from having seen it, is the fact that uh, the the texture of that goes on the uh, on the top of each one doesn't seem different enough from... Uh, a touchscreen, if that makes sense, and it's you know controllers are great as long as there's some real physicality to them that they feel like a different kind of controller. Whereas this is kind of seems to me like it's kind of fallen halfway between. It's obviously not a touchscreen, but it has the kind of surface feel of a slightly raised rubbery touchscreen, but it's not proper knobs and proper pads. And I'm just looking at it thinking, do you know what? As pads to play, I mean, I hate using. Uh, you know, iPads to, to play on because it's just completely unnatural. I like playing pads, and this kind of seems like it's kind of like a touchscreen, but not a real pad. And so it falls in the middle for me. Right. Yeah, that could be could be very true. Gaz, did you you look like you're about to jump in there as well? Well, I think it was you know the reliance of the overlays. You know, uh, seemed a bit strange for me with that thing and. You know, what are those overlays? Are you able to make them? I just, you know, whereas a screen can just have infinite amount of overlays. Well, yeah, yeah, I suppose know. so. That's very true. Um, so, one thing, what, sorry, were you still going? Not, not for me. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> one thing that did come out in the chat room and it's gone past. I'm sorry, I didn't uh, make a note of who said it, but Wacom tablets, you know, top end Wacom tablets are now have the, have incredible set because I mean I used to use one briefly because uh, it was a good input device for certain things or at least I thought it was going to be I think I ended up selling it. But they have this a, a, a lot of they've got three dimensional with pressure and all sorts of hypersensitivity as well which really uh, w you know which might be worth looking at in terms of if you're looking for an alternative device and you can buy those now because they do them from massive to little to all sorts of things. I don't know if anybody's been using those in their setups but I know that the um, they're very highly advanced these days. Can I, can I just, on a controller front, of something a bit amusing, I've got a good friend of mine, a producer friend called Andy Ross, who's now moved to Australia. We were working on a project once, and he suddenly had this harebrained scheme. He said, wouldn't it be great if you could get like a big like control joystick like you use for gaming and use that as your mouse? So he trooped down to PC World, and he got this massive, like, you know, stupid thing with all these buttons and everything on it. And then he tried to use it like an input device. And it was absolutely useless because you just couldn't ever just throw up the screen everywhere. You can never find the mouse pointer or anything. I could believe that, yeah. I mean, I think I had very similar experiences with the Wacom as well. But yeah, absolutely. Um, right, well, I think I wanted to... Let's bring it into the world of uh, what people actually do with all this stuff. And I found this thing yesterday. Uh, I think it came out via Ableton. And I, it just absolutely blew me away. This is uh, 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 a performer called Rachel Claudio, who uh, 
is a fantastic vocalist. And the thing about this this video, this is her working on a, a system. That's obviously got a push there. There's an APC 40 that looks like, is that a little fatty in the corner? Some yes. Dave Smith instruments thing yeah. down there. Not sure what that is. And there's a, um, what's the what's the one in the Sub corner? Fatty. Sub fatty there. And she play, she's playing on, but when she starts to sing, it's like this sort of incredibly visceral kind of stuff is coming out of her. And she obviously feels, and she's an amazing vocalist. But at the same time, she's operating as what is an immensely complicated setup, really, to do this in real time. Obviously, there's some of it's pre-prepared. But the diff, the, the sort of the, the juxtaposition between her kind of really feeling this and getting the the, the well, whichever side of the brain it is going on, and then also what she's actually doing with the technology is really. I think that's it where it gets really. She starts. She plays this amazing bass line. Hold on, I'm gonna. There she goes. She goes to this uh, sub fat in a sec. And this just went crazy on Facebook. Only posted yesterday. And she can play a mean mono as well, by the sounds of things. I've never heard of her, and I just thought it was brilliant. Great vote. Anyway, I won't play the whole thing because we'll probably get busted for it. Oh, I've got to stop that, haven't I? Otherwise, I will get busted for it. Um, isn't it great to see somebody using all this stuff to actually make brilliant things? I mean, that was really kind of made me feel... I, I can't stop listening to it. I occasionally get this thing where I get a track and I just can't... It was the same thing. I think Alessandro Cortini, one of his tracks, I just could not stop listening to it. And it, this is doing the same thing to me. Um, I don't know, Mark. Have you seen this yet, Mark? I thought it was just superb. I watched it this morning and I have to admit, I mean, I, I'm ashamed of my arrogant prejudice, but like when I, when it started, I was like, Oh, here we go. Why am I watching this? It's just another person triggering a thing. Someone's going to hate me for saying that. But, uh, <laughs> then as you watch it progress, I was like completely daunted by her level of expertise with all of that technology, all the while performing and it was super, super impressive. And I'm like, how did she remember all of the <laughs> yeah. things? If I were to do that, I would have to practice that probably for months because I have a terrible memory for everything all at once, which is one of the reasons I usually just play with two keyboards and that's it. You know? <laughs> but I was deeply impressed. Just I was blown away. It was really amazing. Yeah, no, really impressive. Uh, uh, Ty, what, um, I mean, you've got all this stuff here. I mean, when you're composing, are you focusing on a single thing at a time? Do you ever have to play this level of complexity actually as a performance? Uh, yeah, I have done occasionally when I've, I've played with bands and things, but, um, but I haven't sang at the same time. Oh, yeah. I think, I think there's a common theme here, which I've seen, I've seen similar things um, kind of performance-wise. Um, with people sat with their gear and, and done live vocal performances. And I have to say, the common theme seems to be, they seem to be women that I've watched doing this. And I think the whole thing about women doing multitasking oh, no. <laughs> really rings true here because uh, they they can obviously keep their, you know, kind of brains going in different ways. Um, I think the only thing I would say, first of all, vocalist, I have to say, I don't think you can question the fact she is a great vocalist. And... I'm with you. I actually really like the track. I think the only thing that is, uh, not that we're overemphasizing, but I think it's just a new way of thinking, which is 
what she's actually doing isn't that different from anyone that sits down and plays the piano and sings or plays guitar um, and sings. Only The only difference is what she's honing, what these new breed of performers are honing, is the fact that rather than sitting down with 88 notes or, you know, kind of so many, you know, kind of whichever frets that they're playing, is that they're, they actually practice, um, tr- you know, kind of triggers and just switching between different modes and then playing a bass line. And it's not that different from actually sitting down and just right. playing. The, the only difference is that um, they've practiced key switching and triggering rather than playing these notes, this chord for this length of time and oh, whatever. A- and I think the, the same way that, you know, I, as a, a keyboard player, would practice their practice and their chops and, you know, can learn. I think it's a new breed of doing that, but using technology, which is fantastic. You know, that's, it's wonderful. That's a really interesting idea. I mean, I suppose the thing is it looks so much more. It, it, it's a bit like when I used to do a lot of live sound and people would come up and go, how do you know what all those knobs do? And it's a sort of, exactly. it's a similar exactly. kind of thing that I'm looking at there going, wow, you know, all of those things you're really good at operating, not just, you know, the one thing and you're singing as well, but singing, not like you're thinking about something else at the same time. I don't know, Robbie. I mean, yeah. you, I guess, Robbie, you probably have to deal with this to a certain extent. I yeah. mean, I don't know if you you sing live, do you, on uh, on the Howard well, Jones stuff? But In the past, but not these days. Um, but what I think is interesting, like Ty said, there's a breed of performers, and it, it does tend to be women who are kind of, you know, you've got, you've got your image and heap and your Kate Havnovic and people like this who, who seem to be great uh, grasping technology and almost building their own instrument out of lots of disparate bits of technology to, uh, so it's they still can an perform. instrument and it feels like an instrument as a whole it feels like they've custom built their own I- environment to, to perform with and it's, it's very interesting how some people have that aptitude to be able to you know give a really emotive performance and also kind of subliminally just go into autopilot and do all that kind of technical stuff while they're doing that and it is it, it's it's a it's a, it's not a skill that a lot of people possess i don't think certainly to sing as well um i, th- I thought it was i thought it was great thought yeah it was great. no really impressive stuff i know gaz i mean you you try and do the uh, well you not try you do the thing where you're performing <laughs> with lots of lots of Lots of separate pieces of equipment, you know, the Volkers and what have you, which has a similar kind of thing. And you can sing too. I mean, it's how hard is it? I mean, I guess if you can do it, it's not hard. If you can't do it, it is hard or harder. <laughs> um, yeah, to, to do it in a way that's good and people will like it, that's hard. Let's <laughs> 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 doing loads of stuff yesterday. I was having so much fun, but I mean, you know. I think everybody who would hear it would say it was dog, dog dirt, you know, but, um, you know, that's the hard bit, I think, making it, making it nice. Because <laughs> um, maybe that's where women are better at, you know, maybe they're a little bit more conscientious about doing something a bit nicer. Like, I, you know, blokes quite like all the really you know when you start playing with synths and stuff not all blokes absolutely not this is a complete um generalization i apologize but getting a bit more ugly with the stuff you know i love all that ugly sounds and just going really masses of ugly sounds you know and then that's where people maybe switch up (laughs) (laughs) 
Yeah. Well, I don't know about that, but um, yes, I, I, I'm sure we'll be hearing a lot more of her. I did check her out. She, her YouTube channel doesn't have a lot of this stuff. I think she's primarily using Facebook to, to get this stuff out. But I suspect on the there are, there's one other video that I think she posted. You can buy that as a single on Yeah, iTunes. you can. She's got an album out, which is, uh, I think it's called, uh, oh gosh, hold on. Uh no, I should have got that. But if you check her out, it's uh, rachelclaudio.com, I think, is the place to go. And uh, she's got some great stuff there. And uh, I think, that, you know, it'd be great to see that level of skill rewarded with that yeah. a, a decent level of remuneration. Absolutely. Because notoriety is easy. It's just turning it into money that's uh, that's hard, as we will all, uh, I'm sure, no doubt, testify. <laughs> Mark, me and you haven't quite figured out how to, uh, how to, how to fund the private yacht habit that I'm, I'm cultivating yeah. in my head. No, no. <laughs> my brother always says, okay, Mark, you've got famous. What about rich? And I'm like, I know. I thought they went together. <laughs> they no? used to. <laughs> well, that, that, I, I don't know if we've got time for this, but there was that, this last piece that I found, which was, uh, uh, oh, have I, st- have I got this? I should, I should actually, um, this does perhaps tie in with this one topic, which was a really interesting piece on BBC. Uh, let's see if I can bring the page up quickly. Uh, it's just it's a, a little kind of short uh, uh, documentary style uh, piece called The Pop Star and the Prophet. And I never heard of this before. Uh, this is a chap called, uh, he is called, hold on a second. He's called uh, Jacques Attali, wrote a book in the 70s that predicted this the crisis of, what's it called, the crisis of proliferation. Uh, he wrote a book called uh, Noise, the Political Economy of Music. And uh, it's a really interesting theory about how uh, the oversaturation of product, the availability of it, has led to this sort of de- um, devaluation of it. And um, he was interviewed by this artist called Sam York, who basically said, what am I going to do? now because i've missed you know and he spoke to various people like the guys from hot chip said if they'd been uh four years earlier then they'd be rolling in cash from the level of success that they had you know it it was more what's really interesting about this is his whole theory about the notion of okay music has always been used um as a political motivator and and a way of um um engendering lots of people to be able to do stuff and get recognized and now because it's now massively proliferated this is going to move into other areas where you know stuff will become worthless like because with 3d printers you'll be able to print yourself a teacup or you know print yourself a a notebook or whatever it may be you know that you need to do and then so that the the what ultimately will only be valuable is time which is kind of what we're seeing to a degree with the value of Uh, gigs and the here and now where you go and you see something happen in front of you and the time is that you spent is the value to it and it's just it it just it kind of blew my mind a little bit because i didn't realize that this guy had written so completely on the subject if you check it get to check it out it's quite interesting i don't know if anybody has anything to add to that but it just really kind of you say print yourself a notebook well, I don't know. Whatever. I, I, that's perhaps the wrong word. A bit of trouble with that one. A pencil, a pen, a, a, a you know, a, a plectrum. I, a, any you know, insert something that perhaps isn't made of paper into that. Uh, <laughs> yes, you're right. That that <laughs> <laughs> I don't. Did, did any of this? I don't know if you, Mark. Did you get a chance to check this out? Have you sort of had a? It's a really interesting theory, don't you think? It's it's kind of terrifying. Yes, there's that too. It kind of. It reminded me of some things that I have said about like uh, consumer grade electronic music technology. And I keep on sort of saying like, because 
everyone can do this now and there's more and more products that anyone can use to make this style of music what's going to happen and then usually i'm accused of being anti-electronic music or something but this is kind of like the same thing it's like when there is so much of the possibility that everyone can have it all at once then it sort of loses the connection you know wow I don't know what happened there, but that was that was, was like an emphasis. Was that was that a point? Do you, uh, it, I, I agree. I mean, it's, it's just a thing I'm trying out. How did it work? <laughs> <laughs> but it, what he, he, he got, in in the book, he talks about you know how uh, in the past, in the ninth century, you know, uh, Emperor Charlemagne imposed for, by force the practice of Gregorian chants. I'm quoting here to force the cultural and political unity of his kingdom. So music was used as a very powerful enabler and a very powerful sort of. And it just, I, I'm going to have to get the book and check it out i don't know um ty does this uh, does this resonate with i guess it, in your world it's slightly different because the music you're producing has it, it is to order so you're already the, the it bit- is but it's a changing world for me for me as well it's a changing world for people who write for um, tv and film it's very much a changing world um and it is all the whole cheapening of music i mean i've i've had this rant before but uh yeah music is music is seen as um it's not seen in the same way it was 10 years ago or 20 years ago or 100 years ago it's um it's cheap people don't expect to pay for it um joe public doesn't expect to pay he wants to stream things or download or whatever but he doesn't want to pay, have to pay for it he quite you know he wants it for nothing um and the same mentality rings true in the industry in that a lot of times directors or producers they kind of want music but you know do they have to pay for it mm. or if they do pay for it do, you know the days of the the days of a young up and coming composer who could make a good living from from you know getting a good break from day one are kind of long gone really you kind of have to you'll be expected to do things for next to nothing and mm. um and exactly like mark was saying with the technology wise it's exactly the same thing i mean it is unbelievably worrying i mean i have a real rant about the fact that you know, I've said this before. People people look at Garage Band and they start ranting that Garage Band is uh, not worth the money. Go, I mean, it's honestly, it's worth a laugh. Go and look at the App Store and read reviews of Garage Band or, or some other pieces of software that are unbelievable, and they're charging you know one pound seventy nine for it. And people are ranting, saying, "I can't believe I spent one pound seventy nine on this piece of rubbish." You know, you have to get real about these things. And uh, it's, technology is fantastic. Technology means that more people can do it. But what technology means is is that people are doing it without quality control and still getting it out there. And that's, in a way, I think, why why music is becoming cheaper. Um, because Or cheapened. Because um, some of it out there is absolute trash. It's rubbish. And back in the day, this would never really have seen the light of day. Or if it did see the light of day, it would be an indie band putting out a single, a 45, that they made 200 copies of. And so 200 people would hear it and, and that we would then die a death because it was rubbish. You'd then get the good bands who would come through and they would get a record contract and then go on to greatness and everyone would hear it. You don't have that. You can literally go from your bedroom writing something that lots of people can hear, but it doesn't mean that it's good. Mm. And I mean that's that's my opinion. No, it, I, I I I totally agree. It is very interesting. I know, Rob, did you get a chance to check this out? Because it just as a theory, yeah. it, it, it's I'd never really thought about it. I mean, the crisis of proliferation is just because it's going to apply to any number of things other than music as well. But what's interesting about it because you still have an emotional connection with music, yet. Yeah. 
I mean, that's the frustrating thing, isn't it? Like Ty is saying, as a as a musician, uh, I remember I remember like ten, fifteen years ago, people were getting paid ten thousand pounds plus for a, for a sync of just a track they'd already done in a computer game, for instance. You know, like you know, early days PlayStation One, there was big money. Now you're lucky if you get five hundred dollars to get your bit, you know, your song synced in a game like I don't know. Five, five, one of those massive games that sell and they sell kind of 40, 50 million copies, way more than any album ever does. It's just because those people, they've got the pick of so many desperate people who want their music and things. And people, you know, you either take the view of, oh, we're doing you a favor you, by having your track in it, it will open so many doors for you. Or, you know, you just think some money's better than no money. And it, it, is, it is debilitating. Because, you know, as somebody who works on other people's music, but also working on my own, and I've been working for a long time, or a couple of years on an album, spending a lot of time, unpaid time effectively, because it's my own passion and love, I, I cringe at the idea that it will get out there and then just, you know, just be available and nobody will buy it. Or everyone will just kind of, you know, or they'll get it on their subscription. Or they won't, they won't have to buy it, yeah. They'll have it on the Apple, you know, on their Apple subscription for their nine ninety nine a month, and that will mean naught pence for me. You know, it's, uh, that side of it, I think, is 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 depressing. Uh, however way you look at it, and it is if you don't have a revenue from licensing your music or syncing your music or um, the ability to go out and make good money touring then it's quite that's quite bleak for a lot of people mm. i guess there will be a, a change uh, i don't know i mean guys you do a lot of live performancing so uh, performancing performance but <laughs> as well so i mean that that's probably a bigger part of what you do than perhaps the, the other panelists do you think that that have you done that consciously or is that just because you love it um i i <laughs> I think my motivations are generally psychedelic in their intentions. So um, anything that happens is more... An accident. Yeah. (laughs) 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 Um, And uh, back in the 90s, it was an amazing band. My, My band was just the best band around. It was amazing. But, you know, we had commercial opportunities that we just we just weren't interested in we were just interested in this thing i don't know we never found it we're still going we're still looking for it (laughs) you know um and the sort of the commerce side of things is just like it's just a it's a different thing um and it's 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 an interesting thing isn't it because you know like i was just mentioning yesterday i was playing on a sledge but i had uh, different sequences and different bits and bobs going uh, loving it, you know, loving it, having so much fun. I mean, I stayed up stupidly late doing it, having oodles of fun, and there's no commercial intention there at all. It's just the the thing of doing it, yeah. You know? Um, and I, you know, the, the the business side of it is. Um, Yeah, but I suppose that I suppose that I suppose the thing is though. I mean, we've talked about this before, where those you know all night jams or whatever, where you're just kind of enjoying yourself. There, you're essentially flexing the muscles that you can use then 
in your day job if your day job involves creativity or music or any of those things as well. So those things, are, they're, they're both important because otherwise if you only ever work paid for music, then, you know... The, the, it's a different relationship you have with it. I mean, and it happened to me to a degree in the, when I was doing lots of mixes, I, I would only ever, and you know, to some extent, I suppose I still do. I only ever really kind of get into making music when there's a gig. And, I, and, and that's just something that I think was instilled in me because that's all it was, you know, day after day, after day, after day, after day of sort of pouring this kind of whatever creativity I had in my head at the time out into other people's productions or whatever. And I, I don't know whether that's, good or bad i mean but i I think in many ways we were lucky that we even managed to earn a living back then and now you know i'm I'm glad well i don't earn a living now either really so but i suppose it doesn't really make any difference but i still enjoy i now now i'm finding i I make music just to enjoy it more than more than thinking about that side of it you're right i mean mean, robbie robbie knows i mean uh the last time i wrote a note of music for myself that wasn't commissioned was uh 1997 that was the last time I wrote a note of music just for me, for that wasn't, you know, for someone else. And it means that my the way I view music has kind of it's not tarnished. I still love my job and I still love every minute of the day doing it. But it it has taken on a whole new persona. And uh, I still dream of the day of just finding that doing exactly what Robbie's been doing and writing for me and just doing what i want and sod everyone else i just this is what i want to do but finding time to do that as we were saying coming back to the original thing the only thing that you can't really put a figure on is time and that's the one thing that i absolutely severely lack um uh but you know because you it's in a way you you struggle to have it both ways it's balanced yeah oh yeah sure but they are different things they are different things writing for myself is completely different if I can remember what it's like, but you know, kind of t- almost 20 years ago, it was different writing for myself than it is writing now day to day doing what I do mm. different things completely. Well, it seems like a bit of a, a, it's an interesting note to end on, but I, if you could, if you could check it out, it's got, basically, I don't know, it's still on the iPlayer. I don't know if outside of the UK, whether you can get it, it's called the pop star and the profit, but the chap is called uh, Jacques Attali. And uh, the the book is called uh, Noise: um, The Political Economy of Music, and it's a re- I think it's a really interesting read, and it's it's proved there's actually quite a lot of people that that have, uh, have 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 quoted it, and he was actually a bit of a he sold like some ludicrous amount, you know, it was a sort of I'll write this little book, put it out, and it sold some ludicrous amount, like 150 thousand copies back in the 70s. So you know, he was obviously onto something. So uh, it's just I've never come across it before, but we can also say that you know, obviously, just looking at what uh, Rachel Claudio's just done, you know, there is unbridled joy, and there is a vehicle yeah. for this to get out there. So you know, as we say, hopefully. You know, she'll make some money and she'll be able to keep doing what she's doing and not, you know, have to go and work elsewhere just because there's, you know, she has to feed her kids or whatever it may be. Anyway, it will change. It has. To, it has to change. At the will. end of the day, we we know that it can't carry on. It can't carry on like this. It has to change somehow. And I mean, to be fair, it's kind of almost exciting for us to be part of it. Yeah, in a way. on the cusp. It doesn't feel that way at the moment, but it will be exciting to be part of it. I mean, one thing I'd like to say is a lot of people hate on things like, you know, Kickstarter or Pledge Music or whatever, artists who are choosing to ask their fans to buy into helping them keep their careers going. And I actually view that as a great thing because if you've got a a group of people who really want to hear what you do, I don't think there's any problem in asking them. And when you look at, 
you know, like people like Mozart and all the com famous composers of hundreds of years ago, they all had, um, they all had people who were kind of like... Oh, patronage, yeah. Patronage who said, you know, we'll give you money to, to write, commission this opera or this thing. And, I, and I, I think that's a great visceral way for people to really communicate with their fans and to continue being able to do what they want to do. So, you know, I, th I think there are models, like we say, it's not all doom and gloom. No, no, I would well totally said. agree. Totally agree. Yeah. Well said, Robbie. Um, on, on that slightly more upbeat note, it's probably time to say <laughs> goodbye. Um, we've got to uh, move on. Uh, so remember, uh, before we go, I want you to uh, remember that uh, obviously Isotope are our show sponsors. So if you want to tweet out the hashtag Rhythm Synthesis and the hashtag Break Tweaker to at Sonic State and at Isotope Inc., you will be entered and uh, you can win a chance uh, for a chance to win Isotope Break Tweaker. And of course, uh, don't forget also check out the uh, uh, mini Moog raffle competition which is, ends yes. at the end of the month uh, 20 bucks could get you this very very beautiful I'm guessing it's open to people all over the world right Mark yes it is excellent well yes. that's I'm glad we cleared that up so yes I want to say thank you very much to everybody also in the chat rooms want to say to everybody in the chat rooms which is even more fulsome excellent that's what I like to see so we'll, uh, we'll just go around and say Mark Doty thank you very much for joining us We're great to have you on we look forward to your creative output what are you uh, working on at the moment synthesis wise that's uh, it is the Analog Solutions Nyborg ah. and uh, it's vintage sound for now I mean it's I'm just astounded. I'm working on the demo right now. It's going to be amazing. Excellent. Well, we look forward to that. Anyway, thank you very much for joining us. Thank you. Thank you. And uh, Mr. Ty Unwin there, uh, over there um, in his synth cave, which is getting more and more LED lit. I'm, I'm sure that was a different colour behind you, actually, not long ago. Have you been fiddling Hang with... On. Have you been fiddling with the... Uh, someone someone commented in the chat room about the, about the LEDs. Ah, there we go can change the color of them and, and it's it's a beautiful thing and it's the only reason i bought it <laughs> excellent <laughs> well ty well ty uh, i'm sure you probably need to go back to your day job to help pay for that uh, investment I, but yeah. thank you so much for joining us ty thank it's been a you. pleasure no it's always a pleasure it's great thank you and mr gaz williams uh, thank you also uh, you want to watch out because we've got a couple of things coming up for gaz uh, where he will be on screen soon so thanks gaz i hope you have a great week going forward yeah, great. I'm uh, going to be I'm going to be sledging some more. I think uh, I've got a carrying case tomorrow, so uh, I'm going to be you'll be on the road. Yeah, excellent. And of course, Mr. Robbie Bronneman, who's probably hard back. Are you mixing now? Are you getting on? You, do you work in late at the moment, or no? We we work quite respectable days. We start at ten and finish at eight at night. Excellent. Well, so you've got what's that? A couple of hours left. You can probably get what another yes, mix or I'm two done. It's, yeah, it's interesting because um, Simon's got a pair of Adams A8Xs. I've never used any any other monitors other than my own. And I've got these little Dynaudio BM5 compacts that I've brought with me. But um, I'm just reveling in having a pair of monitors I can turn up ridiculously loud. Um, I've never had experience that. It's quite fun. Excellent. And they've, they've got yeah. ribbon tweeters, haven't they? So they don't take your head off. No, they're nice. Yeah, they're nice from that point of view. Yeah. Brilliant. Okay, well, that's it for this week. Thank you very much, for everybody, for joining us. Remember, as I said, please do subscribe to our YouTube channel. Uh, we'll be happy to have you, and you can uh, um, get our latest stuff, one of which I've got the... Uh 
Modor NF1, which I've been programming some sounds up in, which is a very interesting synthesizer. So uh, hopefully I'll have a review ready for that uh, soon. Anyway, that's it for this week. Uh, Sonic Talk number 419. Uh, it is 419. Yes, it's over. See you later. Bye-bye. <laughs>